Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 4. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. I don't know if you've ever been in that kind of pain, a pain that's just unbearable. The only thing you can do is just kind of grind your teeth. That is sad. That's sad. You shouldn't want to go to hell. You should want to go to heaven and be with Jesus. You know, there's a story told of a little boy who was going to get a puppy for his birthday. He was taken to the pet store where he was allowed to see several dogs. The one he picked wagged his tail furiously, and he was asked why he picked that one. He said, I wanted the one with the happy ending. (laughs) I like that. You know why I like that? Because Jesus offers to mankind two endings. He offers a happy ending. He also will allow you to experience a horrifying ending ending. He offers two endings. And what I love about the book of Revelation is that it has a happy ending. If you've read it, know anything about it, you know that we all live happily ever after in the kingdom of God. Now, who do you know doesn't like a happy ending? You see a movie, it's got a sad ending. And you go, oh, that was a sad ending. Bummer. Man, I feel depressed. Man, it was a sad ending. And you see a movie with a happy ending, and you go, wow, that was a great movie. I love that movie. Yeah, that was a great movie. You see that movie? Yeah, that was a great movie. Because it had a happy ending. Everyone loves a story with a happy ending. The book of Revelation has a happy ending. Because we find ourselves at the throne of God there in heaven, the best part of heaven. We are with Jesus Christ. And that's what John is talking about, being before the throne. You know, the first part of the chapter, John is caught up in the heaven. And the first thing that he sees is a throne that is set in heaven. And Jesus is on the throne and 24 elders around the throne. And before the throne in verse six, John sees a sea of glass like crystal like crystal now you got to get the scene here if I had a crystal glass we don't have crystal we only have Tupperware but if if, well y'all got a problem with Tupperware we're digging on Tupperware man we don't have crystal but if we had crystal I could bring in a piece of crystal and I could hold it up to this light And I could twist it around and turn it around and spin it. And the prisms and the colors would just kind of flash off the walls. 
Now keep in mind what John saw. He saw this emerald green rainbow around the throne. And then he saw jasper like diamond. And then, he, as I said, he saw the sardis stone, which was ruby red. And all of a sudden, the rainbow is coming alive and it's kind of splashing off of him. Him who? Jesus. And shooting out from the throne, John sees colors. It's kind of this light show thing going on. You got to get the get the flavor of what's going on here. It's electrifying and it's thundering and voices proceed from the throne. And John gets there in the heaven and shooting out from the throne is all of these colors. And he heard these living creatures chanting, holy, 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 Lord God almighty, who was and is and is to come. Listen, listen, what John sees is better than VHS, DVD, quadraphonics. Man, this is like living creature technology. Man, he's got, he gets there and he hears, holy, holy. Now think about it. I loved it. Love it. I love it. Every time we read this, I always have us say verse, verse uh, 8 together. You know, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And I always have us do verse 11 together because I love how it sounds. With this, this, this many hundreds of people here in the room, it just sounds beautiful as we say it together. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. It just sounds awesome. Now think about that magnified hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of times as these living creatures and these beings by the millions and millions and millions and Christians throughout the ages, throughout the ages, by the hundreds of thousands, they're saying, holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. This is, this is, this is unbelievable sound. There in the throne room, John sees these four living creatures and he gets there and notice what is the first thing that John hears. He hears worship. He hears worship. Notice John, he doesn't hear Anger when he gets to heaven. Oh, how many people think God is in heaven and he's angry? God is going to come down on your head. God is going to come down in anger and judgment upon people because he's sick and tired of you people. No. John gets to heaven. The first thing he hears is worship from the four living creatures. Now get your pen and get your pad out because I want you to start taking notes from this point on. This point on, if you take the time to look in Ezekiel chapter 1 and Ezekiel chapter 10, you will see a different picture of the four living creatures. A different picture or a different angle or Ezekiel sees kind of a, from a different advantage point in Ezekiel chapter 1 and in chapter 10. It's a different angle of these four living creatures. In Ezekiel 10 verse 20, we are told that these living creatures are cherubim. They're cherubim. And again, in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 14, it tells us that Satan was a cherubim. Now, the first time that cherubim are talked about in the Bible is when God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden because of their sin. You see, God in his mercy, he put cherubs at the gate 
of the garden with a flaming sword in his hand to keep them out of the garden from eating of the tree of life. God did that in his mercy. You see, Adam and Eve had already sinned. You know the story. And they were in this fallen condition. And if they would have eaten of the tree of life, In that fallen condition, they would have kept getting older and older and older, and they would have lived forever in that fallen condition. So God puts a cherub in front of the gate to keep Adam and Eve from eating of the tree because God knew that if they were to eat of the tree of life in that fallen condition, they would have gotten older and older and older and they would have been thousands of years old and just getting shriveling up and just getting older and older and living forever and ever. Bummer. Not fun. I mean, think about your body decaying at its present rate and you are thousands and thousands and thousands of years old man the bible says in heaven there's no more back pain i look forward to getting to heaven because there's no be no back pain there there'll be no more sickness no more sorrow no no more headaches no more migraines man heaven's gonna be great i i don't want to keep decaying at this present rate I, i you know death is a good thing Death can be a good thing. On God's time, death can be a good thing because in heaven we'll receive new bodies. So there at the gate, God put a cherub to keep Adam and Eve out of the garden. And he put a flaming sword in the hand of that cherub just to simply keep them out. Then in Exodus, we see cherubim again. Where? They're on the mercy seat. And then in Isaiah chapter 6, we see another angelic being very similar to cherubim is called a seraphim. Now, what's the difference? Well, cherubim dwell around the throne and seraphim dwell above the throne. The only time in the Bible that seraphim is used is in Isaiah chapter 6. The seraphim dwell above the throne and cherubim dwell around the throne. Now, if you look in Ezekiel chapter 1 and you you look in Ezekiel chapter 10, you will see that Ezekiel sees these cherubim. And each one of them has four faces. Different than what John sees. Each one of them has four faces. The face of a lion, the face of a calf, the face of a man, and the face of an eagle. And with eyes and with four wings, Ezekiel sees. But the creatures, you notice what John sees here, each one of them have one face. Again, just a different angle. Each one of them have one face, the face of a lion, the face of a calf, the face of a man, and the face of an eagle. And they are worshiping around the throne. Now, these four living creatures are fascinating in many ways. They have eyes or they they are just full of eyes in the front and in the back which means nothing escapes their view. They never cease beholding the glory of the Lord and the purpose of God and declaring them as holy. These these living creatures, they apply themselves and they don't miss anything. Very interesting. Now, since early church history, second century and onward with Irenaeus and other great teachers, 
They have recognized that the four faces of the cherubim correspond with the four Gospels of the New Testament. Matthew presents Jesus as king, and the symbol is a lion. Matthew presents Jesus as servant, and the symbol is an ox, and it speaks of servitude. Mark presents Jesus in humanity as the son of man, seen in the face of a man. And John presents Jesus as the son of God, pictured as an eagle. Matthew presents Jesus as the king. The symbol is a lion. Mark, Jesus, as you study the gospel of Mark, you see Jesus is serving. So Mark presents Jesus as a servant and the symbol is an ox, speaks of servitude. Luke presents Jesus as the son of man, speaks of humanity. We see a face and John presents him as the son of God, pictured as an eagle. Interesting, I was out a couple of days ago with a friend and we were just walking around on some um, undeveloped property, and, and he saw this eagle. And you guys know I'm from Philly, so I'm still getting used to this nature thing out here in North Carolina. I'm from the city. And I, he said, oh, there goes an eagle, there goes an eagle. And I said, how do you know it's an eagle? He said, well, I saw his white head when it was coming this way here. Did you know that the eagle flies higher than any other animal and get this, the eagle is the only animal in all of creation that can look directly into the sun and not have his eyes burned out. Isn't that interesting? In other words, he's got these like polarized Ray-Bans that just kind of come down over his face. He's got these cool glasses he's flying around at me, you know, looking at his sun. I think that's cool. And you know, the Bible says that Jesus is the son of God. And he is the only one that can really look on the glory of the Father. Interesting. Now, these four living creatures, who are they and what they represent? A question that still yet, after thousands of years, remains unanswered. Who are these four living creatures? And what do they represent? There are many, 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 many interpretations of who these living creatures are and what they represent. Some say they represent the church. Some say that they represent the attributes of God in power and intelligence and in energy. The fact is, we do not know who they are, really who they are, and what they represent. But let me just give you what I believe to be an interesting biblical observation. Pretty amazing, if you will. If you're taking notes, Numbers chapter 1 and 2. I want you to go look this up in your own time. God told the people that as they moved throughout the wilderness and in various locations, that as they moved from place to place, they were to camp out. And they were to camp out in a specific order. You know, the tabernacle was collapsible. The first tabernacle, you could take it down and set it up. And that's exactly what they did. They had this portable tabernacle that they moved. They tear it down, set it up. And, but God told them that they were to set it up the same way every time. 
God said, first of all, I want the Levites to surround the tabernacle on the north, the south, the east, and the west side. The Levites were to surround all four sides of the tabernacle. Now, you know that the Levites was the priestly tribe. This was the the priestly tribe. These were the servants of God. And these servants of God needed to be closest to the camp in order to experience the kabod, K-A-B-O-D, the glory of God. You might have heard the word Ichabod, meaning the glory of the Lord has departed. Kabod speaks of the glory of God. And so these servants or or these priests, they needed to camp on all four sides in order to be closest to the glory of God. Now, it is interesting. The Bible says what? That we Christians are priests of God. We are priests of God. And if we as priests of God, Christians, are going to experience the glory of God, listen, you are going to have to encamp closest to the tabernacle. You need to. I want to experience the glory of God. Therefore, I need to stay close to God. Now, how many people have said to me, you know, I don't know anybody in this church. Or they say, you know, this church is too big. Church is getting too big. I call and make an appointment with Pastor Rodney and all I get is Rob. You know. So tell him. I poor Rob. Or I get Steve. Or I get Charles. Or I get somebody else. This church is getting too big, many people say. And I've heard that often. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. This church is actually not as big as you think. As a matter of fact, this church is very small. You see, if you take the time to camp closest around the tent, if you will, you'll see the church is very small. How so, Rodney? Well, listen, this is how it works. If you want to experience the glory of God in your life personally, this is how it works. You need to begin to serve God. You need to begin to serve the Lord. It's amazing how small the church gets when you engage in service. It's amazing. You know, someone once said that 10% of the people do 90% of the work. You see, it's the minority that are camped closest around the tent, not the majority. So if you were to get close around the tent, you would see that it really is, the church really is a really small group of people. It really isn't that large. And if you want to experience the glory of God, it's so important for you to begin to serve the Lord wherever you are. In your neighborhood, on your campus, in the church. Ushering, greeting, changing poopy diapers in the nursery. I know we just had that announcement, but still, changing poopy diapers in the nursery. Anywhere where you begin to serve God, you will find that in serving and hanging out closest to the tent, like the Levites, you will experience the kabod or the glory of God. And this is why God wants to wants you to serve him, by the way. God does not want you nor need you to serve him, because if you don't serve him, then the kingdom of God is going to collapse. Man, if you don't serve the Lord, then... What's going to happen to the kingdom? 
God doesn't need you to serve him for that reason. Remember, the Bible says that if, if we don't praise him, then the rocks will cry out. Now, if the rocks can cry out, then I'm pretty confident that if God wanted to, he could most certainly have the rocks to serve him. If he wanted to. God doesn't want us to serve him because he needs you to serve him. God does not need us. Say amen. He really does. I mean, he's, he's kind of God. You know, I mean, when you're like God, when you're God, when you're God, what do you need? Nothing. You can create anything you need out of nothing. So he's God. God wants us to serve him because he knows that it's in serving him around the tabernacle, around the tent, is where we will experience the glory of God. That's why he wants you to serve him. And then he knows that when you start serving him, you'll find fulfillment in your life, just like the Levites. Now, Numbers 2 goes on to say, on each of the four sides, the north, the south, the east, and the west, there were to be three tribes. On the east side is the camp of Judah. Write that down. On the east side is the camp of Judah. And along with Judah, there were two other tribes, Issachar and Zebulun, and they numbered 186,400. Write that down. The camp of Judah, along with Judah, were two other tribes, Issachar and Zebulun, and they numbered 186,400. These numbers will make sense in just a minute. And they were camped, they were to be camped under the ensign or the flag or the symbol of, guess what? The lion. Revelation chapter 5, verse 5 tells us Jesus is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And the Bible says when Jesus comes back, he won't come back as a suffering servant, but as a conquering Lion King to rule and to reign in power and in glory. And get this, when he comes back, when Jesus comes back, guess what? He is coming from the east and he is going to enter into the east gate. He's going to come back and he's going to go through the east gate. So the camp of Judah on the east side. Then on the west side is the camp of Ephraim. And along with Ephraim are Manasseh and Benjamin. And they numbered 108,100. 108,100, the camp of Ephraim on the west side. Then on the south side is the camp of Reuben. And along with Reuben are Simeon and Gad, and they number 151,400. And the symbol for the camp of Reuben was the face of a man. The symbol of Ephraim was the ox. Reuben, the man. And then on the north side is the camp of Dan. And along with Dan were Nephtali and Asher. And they numbered 157,600. And the symbol of Dan, you guessed it, is the eagle. So we have the west side, or the east side, pardon me, is the camp of Judah. And the symbol is a lion. The west side, the camp of Ephraim, the symbol is the ox. The south side, the camp of Reuben, the symbol is the face of a man. And then on the north side is the camp of Dan, and the symbol would be the eagle. Now get this, get this. 
the largest number of the people camped on the east side. And the smallest number of people camped on the west side. And there was almost an equal number of people on the north and the south side. Now, if you were to take a plane and get an aerial view of the camp of the children of Israel, guess what you would see? A cross. Isn't that interesting? Everywhere they went, God wanted to be able to look down on his people and see the cross. Do your homework, numbers one and two. Very interesting. So you say to me, okay, Rodney, so what? What does that mean? Well, here's so what. Numbers chapter 23 and 24. Write that down. You know the story. The prophet of Balaam, or the prophet Balaam, was hired by Balak to curse Israel. And so, you know the story, he goes up on this high mountain and he kind of overlooks and he sees the children of Israel down there encamped. And Balaam tries to curse them. And, and he gets up in the high mountain, and he says, you, he tries to curse them, but instead blessings pop out. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.